Hello, this is Cherry Hendricks and Adrian Hendricks with Save One More Now Incorporated, where our focus is to lovingly confront all activities dishonoring human life created in the image of God. There is no greater dishonor to God and human life than to reject his eternal salvation only available through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us. According to the World Health Organization, of the 55.4 million deaths worldwide in 2019, ischemic heart disease and stroke are the world's biggest killers, accounting for a combined 15 million deaths in 2019. These diseases have consistently been the leading causes of death globally for a number of years. Ischemic heart disease is reduction in or blockage of blood flow to the coronary artery, thought to be caused by cholesterol deposits. Rounding out the top 10 causes of death worldwide, we have chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, lower respiratory infections, neonatal conditions, trachea and bronchus, lung cancer, Alzheimer's disease and other dementias, diarrheal disease, diabetes, and kidney diseases. What is death? Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines death as the state of a being in which there is a total and permanent cessation of all the vital functions when the organs have not only ceased to act but have lost the susceptibility of renewed action. However, the two other kinds of death not often talked about are found in Easton's Bible Dictionary, which calls death the effect of sin and not a debt of nature. It discusses spiritual death and trespasses and sins, that is, the death of the soul under the power of sin, and the second death, the everlasting perdition of the wicked, and second in respect to natural or temporal death. Regarding the death caused by the effect of slavery to sin, Romans chapter 8 verse 6 says, For the mind of the flesh is death, but the mind of the spirit is life and peace, because the mind of the flesh is hostile towards God, for it is not subject to God's law, neither indeed can it be. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 talks about the condition of people whom Jesus has delivered from this death. You were made alive when you were dead in transgressions and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the children of disobedience, among whom we also once lived in the lusts of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest." We're reminded about our deliverance again at Colossians 2, verse 13. You were dead through your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. The second death is the eternal state of being lost and suffering everlasting destruction. Called second because it follows natural death, Jesus says this at Revelation 2, verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the assemblies. He who overcomes won't be harmed by the second death. At Revelation 21, verse 8, and other places in the Bible, we are provided a list of sinful behaviors that are lit with the flames of the lake of fire reserved for those who will experience the second death. But for the cowardly, unbelieving, sinners, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their part is in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. 
If natural death is the state of being in which there is total and permanent cessation of all the vital functions, when the organs have not only ceased to act, but have no ability to self-activate, then does abortion result in the natural death of yet-born babies, and in some cases even the mother? Of course it does. To abort babies is to murder them, to steal their lives, and to permanently stop their vitally body functions that promote their growth and development. Those who promote the murderous practice of abortion and are thereby complicit in their deaths actually imitate and demonstrate the mind and heart of Satan. Abortion is neither sanctioned nor approved by the Lord of Life. Today, as in times past, many in religious organizations, including congregations of all types, promote Satan's agenda of abortion to destroy human babies made in the image of God. Abortion is not something new, and warnings against this deliberately deadly practice go back at least to the days of the New Testament disciples. A document written between 60 and 90 AD known as the Didache, or Teaching of the Apostles, contains clear direction regarding the practice of killing preborn children at chapter 2, verse 2. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not corrupt boys. You shall not commit fornication. You shall not steal. You shall not deal in magic. You shall do no sorcery. You shall not murder a child by abortion, nor kill them when born. The United States Department of Health and Human Services declared that human life begins at conception, and rightly so. Shortly after that declaration, several groups came out in opposition and vowed to fight it. I asked the Lord about this claim that life begins at conception, and his reply was immediate and clear. Life begins at conception. Dead things don't grow. Abortion is the murder of the world's most vulnerable human beings. Contrary to the rhetoric of people who want them dead, developing babies in their mother's wombs are neither random pieces of tissue nor parasites. Words like fetus, which refers to a developing offspring, are used not only to conceal and obscure the entire process of human reproduction through sexual intercourse, but also the power of the living God by the miraculous appearance of Jesus, the Anointed One. The Bible speaks of prenatal development at Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 5. As you don't know what is the way of the wind, nor how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, even so you don't know the work of God, who does all. In Psalm 139, verses 11 through 16 revealed, If I say, Surely the darkness will overwhelm me, the light around me will be night. Even the darkness doesn't hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness is like light to you. For you form my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. My soul knows that very well. My frame wasn't hidden from you when I was made in secret, woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my body. In your book they were all written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there were none of them. Indeed, Luke chapter 1 verses 41 and 42 describes how these little ones make their presence known in utero. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She called out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. The Greek word brephos used in verse 41 is also used several other times in the Bible to refer to babe, baby, infant, or child. Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines murder as 
to kill a human being with premeditated malice. The word premeditated means previously contrived, designed, or intended, and the word malice speaks to deliberate ill will. The World Health Organization, which provided the leading causes of death in 2019, also stated that between 2015 and 2019, on average, 73.3 million abortions occurred worldwide in each year. This is one of the many ways the enemy is working to reduce the population of the earth. True followers of the commandments of the Lord Jesus neither murder nor promote the murder of God's innocent, vulnerable babies. In fact, authentic Christians have nothing to do with actions that lead to death of the innocent. 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9 through 11 says, Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor extortionists will inherit God's kingdom. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the spirit of our God. Authentic Christians are not complicit in the murderous deed of abortion. Dictionary.com defines complicit as choosing to be involved in an illegal or questionable act, especially with others. On June 24, 2022, the United States Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, sending the decision to allow or to outlaw abortion back to each of the 50 states. However, citizens of the kingdom of God are held to a higher standard, as we are warned at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 26. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable multitudes of angels, to the festal gathering and assembly of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better than that of Abel. See that you don't refuse him who speaks. For if they didn't escape when they refused him who warned on the earth, how much more will we not escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven, whose voice yet shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more will I shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. We realize there are those who insist that the Old Testament is invalid on this side of the cross of Christ. However, the Son of God himself validated the law given in the Old Testament at Matthew 19 verses 16 through 19. Behold, one came to him and said, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? He said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is, God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not offer false testimony. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Just to be clear, there are a number of ways one may be complicit in committing murder by abortion, but we will list only four. Supporting people in or agendas which promote abortion, refusing to speak out against abortion, encouraging people to abort their unborn babies, and choosing to have an abortion. 
It is important to note that when someone is complicit in an act, their behavior is counted as if he or she actually committed the act, and they will be judged accountable for the act. I asked the Lord for a scriptural reference where someone was complicit in murder. He readily gave me the incident with David and Uriah. The entire account is in the book of 2 Samuel from chapter 11 verse 1 through chapter 12 verse 23. David initiated adultery with the wife of one of his soldiers, Uriah the Hittite. As a result, Uriah's wife Bathsheba became pregnant and sent word to David. David then tried to hide what he had done by calling Uriah home to sleep with his wife. Uriah's response to David is recorded at 2 Samuel chapter 11 verses 9 through 11. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and didn't go down to his house. When they had told David, saying, Uriah didn't go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Haven't you come from a journey? Why didn't you go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark, Israel, and Judah are staying in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open field. Shall I then go into my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. So David ordered his general, Joab, to send Uriah to the front line of battle, then draw everyone back and leave him alone for the enemy to kill. This plan worked. With Uriah now dead, David married Bathsheba. The baby was born, and he thought all was well. But the prophet Nathan came to David and related a story about a wealthy man in the kingdom who had wronged a poor man. David, livid at the report, declared that the offending man would repay the man who was wronged and then pay with his life. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 7-9 through 9 records what happened next. Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what Yahweh, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your bosom and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that would have been too little, I would have added to you many more such things. Why have you despised Yahweh's word to do that which is evil in his sight? You have struck Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. The Lord God charged David with Uriah's murder at verse 9. Then God pronounced the consequences through Nathan the prophet at 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 10. Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken Uriah the Hittite's wife to be your wife. While David himself did not hold the sword that killed Uriah, he was complicit in his murder. David's command not only caused the murder of Uriah, but he used God's enemy to do it, the Ammonites. We do the same thing when we support those who agitate, advocate for, and support the disgusting practice of abortion. In these cases, we too are guilty of murder, since, as was the case with David, we are complicit. But we also employ God's enemies, the abortion providers and wicked lawmakers, to do this hideous deed. Many who call themselves Christians could find themselves guilty of murder through complicity, as David in the case of Uriah. This greatly saddens the heart of God. Those who have truly been born from above exhibit the character and nature of the one from whom they have proceeded. 
The living God gives life to those who come to him and from him. A dead God, little g, Satan, gives death. The prophet Jeremiah repeated a refrain from the Lord God regarding the murder of children sacrificed to idols in Jeremiah 7, verses 30 and 31. For the children of Judah have done that which is evil in my sight, says Yahweh. They have set their abominations in the house which is called by my name to defile it. They have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire which I didn't command, nor did it come into my mind. At Jeremiah 19 verses 4 and 5 he says, Because they have forsaken me, and have defiled this place, and have burned incense in it to other gods that they didn't know, they and their fathers and the kings of Judah, and have filled this place with the blood of innocence, and have built the high places of Baal, to burn their sons and the fire for burnt offerings to Baal, which I didn't command, nor speak, which didn't even enter into my mind. And we hear this at Jeremiah 32, verse 35. They built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through fire to Molech, which I didn't command them. It didn't even come into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. The difference today is that we have no common statue heated like a frying pan on which to place our living babies, causing them to scream in agony. Instead, we have what are called safe, modern medical procedures that kill babies while they are still in their mother's bodies or just on the brink of entering the world. Today, we don't need to worry about hearing their screams while they are either chemically burned or pulled apart into little pieces or pierced in the backs of their heads to have their brains vacuumed out. Today, we don't hear about tangible idols upon which we sacrifice our children, but we have made idols of our own hardened dead hearts that leave us with dead babies. The following is a testimony we are presenting by permission entitled, A Very Personal Testimony. The Bible challenges those who believe in God to make themselves living sacrifices, fully giving themselves to serving God and other people. See Romans chapter 12 verse 1. Dear friend, as I write this letter to you, I'm being obedient to God to share my experiences with you in hopes that you will be blessed and encouraged. I had my first abortion at 15 years old. I remember the tension between my mother and me because she wanted me to have an abortion. So in my seventh month of pregnancy, we drove four hours away from our home so that I could have an abortion. When I arrived at the abortion clinic, I was told that since I was nearly in my third trimester, it would be a two-day procedure. The first day, I was medicated and dilated as if I was giving birth, and the next morning they performed the procedure. I remember a vision of a little boy with blue jean overalls and a white and red striped shirt reaching out for me crying, Mommy, no! Mommy, no! As we drove back home in silence, I cried. There are no words for the brokenness I felt after that, but I can tell you it lasted a very long time. Two years later, I was pregnant again. This time, I fearlessly confronted my mom and told her I refused to have an abortion, and to my surprise, she agreed that wasn't the best option for me. I was excited about the upcoming birth of my son, but the excitement was quickly met with an overwhelming shame. I was ostracized by members of my church, I was forced to withdraw from the performing arts school I had attended in my junior year, 
and many of my so-called friends became distant. My mother, my sister, and I established closeness during the pregnancy that lasts today, and with their support, my son was born. I graduated from high school when he was five months old. I immediately enrolled in community college while working three part-time jobs. It was extremely difficult working, going to school, and taking care of a new baby, but I worked tirelessly, mostly because I didn't want any handouts from anyone. After two years, I completed my associate's degree and transferred to Florida A&M University in Tallahassee, Florida. Two weeks prior to moving to Tallahassee, I found out I was six weeks pregnant. This time, I had decided to have an abortion. I made the appointment and got a friend to drive me to the clinic. I had no reservations about aborting that baby as I sat in the clinic. It was a quick fix to my carelessness and inconvenience. My friend sat next to me, apparently very uncomfortable. I ignored her. Then she blurts out, I'm going to leave you here if you do this. Looking dumbfounded, I asked her, what do you mean? She had decided that she didn't want me to have an abortion because she didn't think it was right. I was angry. I had no way to get home, and I would be leaving for college in just a few days. When we got back to my house, I told her to leave and to never speak to me again. We didn't speak for nearly two years after that. As you could probably imagine, my first year at the university was lonely. I cried every day because I was having a child that I didn't want to have. I isolated myself from friends and family, and after one semester, I withdrew from school. I moved back home during Christmas break, and my daughter was born. I then re-enrolled in college, and both of my children lived with my mother for the next two semesters before moving up with me. Things seemed to be settled. The children and I had a routine, and the three of us had a great relationship. Life was good. Fast forward six years. The children are growing up, and things are going great. I get married in November 2007, and the great relationship that I had with my husband prior to marriage got tested hard early. After only three months of marriage, we separated and I found I was pregnant. With divorce seemingly inevitable, abortion seemed like the best option. Spiritually, I struggled for weeks with the idea of having an abortion, outright murder. However, my circumstances pointed me in that direction. My husband was not in support of having the baby. In fact, he encouraged an abortion. I refused to endure the shame of a third pregnancy while being single, and the financial responsibility of a newborn was overwhelming. Needless to say, I scheduled the appointment for the abortion. When I got to the clinic, I checked in, paid the non-refundable $325, and took a seat. I waited with about a half dozen other women in a cold, lifeless lobby that had a stench that I could not readily identify. I ignored it. I was still determined that I could and would go through with this. When my name was called, I got up and went to the small room with little light and undressed. I lay on the table, but the odor that I smelled in the lobby became increasingly overpowering. I began to cry uncontrollably, hyperventilating even. The odor began to suffocate me. What is that smell? I remembered thinking, and my soul resonated, dead babies. I hurriedly dressed and ran from the room. The smell of dead babies was all I could think of as I made it down the hallway and out of the building. I sat outside of my car and cried for a while, and as I was leaving, my phone rang. It was my husband, who I had not spoken to in weeks. 
His call was to inform me that he didn't want me to have an abortion. Prior to giving my testimony, I sought the Lord's directions for the time and the words to say, and in that time, God revealed something to me regarding my children's names. My son's first name means gift of God. He was my gift from God. He replaced my first son that I aborted, and his birth restored the relationship between my mom and me. His birth also restored my faith in my mother. His middle name means fearless faith. When I was pregnant with him, so many people turned their backs on me and criticized me and my mom because I was a teenage parent. During that time, I had to be fearless and have strong faith that God is a forgiving and loving God and to know that children are the Lord's heritage. My daughter was named after my mother. However, her middle name means marvelous and beautiful and signifies the color red. No matter the shame or depression I struggled with, as his child, I was still covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, his red blood. Through prayer and faith, my husband and I were successful in maintaining our marriage and our covenant of love for each other. For that, we were rewarded with a daughter with a pleasant and kind spirit. Her first name means successful. Her middle name means pleasant. So, my friend, after I have shared my testimony, please remember that it's all about people. God sent His Son for us. If you will lean on, trust in, and be confident in the Lord with all your heart and mind, and do not rely on your own insight or understanding, and in all your ways know, recognize, and acknowledge Him, He will direct and make straight and plain your paths. See Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. We at Save One More Now Incorporated encourage all listeners to seek the Lord for His calling on your life. If you are faithful to spend time with Him throughout the day, you will come to know without a doubt that He really loves you and He has a purpose for your being here. We can be reached by email at truelife at saveonemorenow.org or our telephone number in the United States, 850-727-0493. We look forward to joining you next week and ask you to remember, Life life is good. God God gives life. God is good.